0: I'm going to ask you if you open your Bible to Matthew 21. And children, you may head over to nursery. Matthew chapter 21. And we're going to be looking at uh, verses 1 through 11. I've entitled this sermon, Behold Your King. And uh, we all know what the significance of today is. Today is what is called Palm Sunday. I don't know if that's the right thing or the wrong thing, but nonetheless, it is what it's called, right? Uh, Today is called Palm Sunday, and we commemorate the day that our Lord Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem, was hailed as king. This um, life of Jesus, the last week of Jesus' life, accounts for 30% of all the Gospels, 30% of the Gospels deal with the last week of Jesus' life. And this event in particular is covered by all four Gospels. And why did Jesus go to Jerusalem, right? So it was a mandatory feast, it was the Feast of Passover, one of three mandatory feasts. But he also went up to Jesus to force, if you would, to force the Pharisees in the Sanhedrin's hands Because Christ was obedient to the plan and the purpose of God. He did so willingly, willingly, with a full human will. Knowing everything that lay ahead of him, he willfully orchestrated himself up to Jerusalem to ultimately become the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundations of the world. Josephus, the historian, estimates that during the Passover week that Jerusalem would be filled with approximately 2.7 million pilgrims that would descend upon Jerusalem during the Passover week. And they would usually, if they couldn't get in inn in the area, they would camp out on the Mount of Olives, which would be kind of like, uh, I guess, a uh, pre-modern RV camp, you know, They would tent out there, maybe if they found a a stay. By the way, notice where Jesus was the night he was captured, on Mount Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? So he was probably there among all the others. When did this take place? Well, the most accurate historians and biblical scholars have traced this date back to April 1st, 30 AD. So it's the Hebrew month of Nisan, not the car, but the month. Right? Jesus is about 33, 33 and a half years old. This date, by the way, in the Jewish calendar of April 1st, or Nisan, uh, coincides with the date that the lamb that you were going to select for Passover would be selected. How do you like that? So here comes Jesus into Jerusalem on the day that the Passover lamb was to be chosen for the day of Passover. The people, everybody around came to see Jesus. We're going to talk about some of the things that precipitated that. But they also came to see Lazarus as well, who was just recently risen from the dead. Right? And Jesus, so popular with the people, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, knew that they couldn't kill him because of all the people that were in Jerusalem lest they feared Orion. So, What is the significance of the entry into Jerusalem? This is Jesus presenting himself to the nation of Israel as king. That's the significance. Theologically, historically, the king came and presented himself to the nation. Jesus entered Jerusalem during Passover week. And hence he would become that Passover sacrifice, that that Passover lamb that was going to be sacrificed. Paul tells us in First Corinthians 5:7, he says, Clean out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened, for Christ our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Peter talks about this in First 1 Peter 119, saying knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from the feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Christ not only reveals himself as king, but Christ will become and will fulfill that typology given way back on the night before the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt he will indeed fulfill that typology of that unblemished, uh, unstained lamb upon whose blood is shed upon whomever that death would pass over. Death would indeed pass over. Today we're going to see from our text today, there's there's really just one main point that I want to pull out of the text today. That despite the crowds, despite the appearance of worship, despite the religious fervor, most people on that first Passover, that first Palm Sunday, had the right worship with the wrong heart. We're going to look at that. Because the object of their worship was correct. They were saying, blessed is he, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They don't even, I don't even think they realized what they were saying. The object of their worship was correct, but their heart was wrong. And we're going to take a look at that through the text. And I think the most important thing for us today is for us to examine, where is our heart with Christ? Do we indeed have the right object of worship? With a wrong heart. So let's take a look at Matthew 24. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. I'll read it through and then we'll go through the text. I mean, Matthew 21, I'm sorry. Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. And when they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says uh, says something to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. Now this took place, that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey even on a colt, the foal of the beast of burden. And the disciples went and did just as Jesus had directed them, and brought the donkey and the colt, and laid the, their garments on which he sat. And most of the multitudes spread their garments in the road, and others were cutting branches from trees and spreading them in the road. And the multitudes going before him and those who followed were crying out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when they had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the multitudes were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, in order to understand this, I think it's critical that we understand what events precipitated this. I think this is real, really critical. So just from looking at the gospel, here are some of the things that precipitated this first Palm Sunday. Number one, Jesus had stayed at Zacchaeus' house. Remember that? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he would see. Well, Zacchaeus was a publican. He was a tax gatherer, most contemptible thing in Israel. Worse than a prostitute. And Jesus, if you recall, saw him in that tree, that little old fellow. And he said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to stay at your house. And Zacchaeus comes down. He goes to the house. And Zacchaeus invites all his friends. Well, guess who his friends are? They're not the elite of society, I'll tell you that. They're pimps and prostitutes. You know, they're thieves or whatever. These are who other people he hung out with. And by the way... You often hear people say, well, Jesus, Jesus hung out with, you know, with prostitutes. I'm like, he didn't hang out. Can we make that clear? He didn't, like when he wasn't preaching that day, call up some pimp or prostitute, say, hey, what are you doing today? You want to throw the ball around or something? He didn't do that. Jesus was intentional. And everything he did was intentional. And therefore, Jesus was not afraid to go to those who need spiritual help. He didn't come to call the spiritually healthy, right? He came to call the sick. So he would bring the gospel to those that were in dire need of the gospel. And that's what he did at Zacchaeus' house. So Luke 19 one through ten, you can find that. Number two, what's the, what else is going on? Messianic fervor is building in and around Jerusalem. The word of Jesus was going out. There is a prophet who does these great signs. There is a prophet who has the ability to heal. And by the way, what had taken place just a few days before? Jesus had gone to the tomb of Lazarus, who had been dead four days. Rolled the stone away, called him out by name. He who was dead is now alive. This wasn't something that Lazarus dropped dead. Jesus put his hands on him and he came back to life. He was dead, he was buried. And don't ever lose this. The four days is very significant because in Jewish custom, it was taught that when a person dies, their spirit hovered the grave for three days. Three days. But Jesus deliberately delayed, and he took four days to go see his pal, Lazarus, and raise him from the dead. Now the people are getting this idea, oh my goodness, if this guy can raise the dead, he certainly should be able to deliver us from the oppression of Rome. So messianic fever is building. Mary had come to Jesus and had anointed his feet symbolically in preparation of his death. The Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, had already conspired to kill Jesus. They had a plan, and their plan was they were going to kill him. They just didn't want to do it during the Passover week because they were afraid that the people who esteemed Jesus as a prophet would rise up and revolt. By the way, I don't know if you know as well, but you know that the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, also conspired to kill Lazarus as well. You know that's a hard heart, right? When you see somebody raised from the dead, but because you don't want the people to believe that he was raised from the dead, you're going to kill him again. That's a cold heart. And here's another thing that we don't hear too much often, but Jews, some Jews, were believing in Christ. So it wasn't everybody who cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, would eventually yell, crucify him, crucify him. There were people that were being converted. And we see this right when Jesus Uh, finally ascends, there's about a 100 people, 120 people in the upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit to come before Pentecost. So there were some people that were indeed saved. And certainly there were many people who bore witness to Lazarus and word was going around like crazy. So if you look at verses 1 through 3, you see that Jesus is approaching Jerusalem. He had come from Bethpage. He's on the Mount of Olives. Now, the temple sits here, the Mount of Olives sits here, and here is a valley. It's called the Kidron Valley, right? Here is the valley that is right there. So you come down the Mount of Olives, you go up. Every time you go up to Zion, every time you you hear that term, we're going to ascend to Zion, it's because the way was up a hill. The temple was there. So Jesus sends his two disciples. They go into the village and they, you know, they're going to commandeer this uh, donkey. Obviously, we could just assume there is no text that gives us any clarity to this, that Jesus had an arrangement with someone in that town said, hey, I may need to borrow your donkey at some point in time. I'll send my guys because when they're challenged, right, they go, okay, well, here it is, right? Here it is the donkey. What are you using? Oh, the Lord. The Lord has need of him. And the gentleman relents. Okay, we talked about why Jesus was heading to Passover. He was going to force the hand. Jesus is doing the word, everything. I want to call your attention right now to verse 4. It says, now this took place that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. It's important to remember that the gospel of Matthew is written primarily to Jewish people. And so Matthew has more Old Testament references in the book of Matthew than any other of the Gospels. And Matthew clearly is taking them back to the Old Testament, right? Now, this was, took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. In verse 5, he says, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle, mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal. Of a beast of burden. And here are two verses that are combined in one. Isaiah 62, 11, and Zechariah 9, 9. Right? Here I mentioned to you earlier, is the formal presentation of Jesus as king to the nation of Israel. He's coming in. The leadership of Israel, by the way, has the opportunity to recognize this, to accept it, but they reject ultimately Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem uh, coheres with the depiction of the Good Shepherd found in John 10. And negatively, it contrasts with the Jewish nationalistic misconception and a world uh, and an understanding of the rule and primarily of the rule of Messiah. What was Israel looking for? They were looking for a political, militaristic Messiah. They did not even contemplate that they needed a Savior. They were circumcised, they had the law, they were the chosen people of God. And by virtue of being Jewish, I'm saved. I'm good. I don't need a Savior. I have no sin. Circumcision is the mark of the covenant that establishes me being okay with God. And isn't it amazing that the most learned people at the time were the Pharisees, were the Sanhedrin, and yet throughout the Gospel, what do we see? We see a wickedness we see a jealousy we see a zealousness for that which is wrong and an unwillingness to yield themselves to christ and i liken that to many people who call themselves christian i'm a christian my father was a christian my mother was a christian my grandmother was a christian we've always been christian since we came across on the mayflower My family didn't come across on the Mayflower. My family came across on the Goya Express. (laughs) But there are many, 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 many who use the term Christian to define that which is political, that which is religious, that which is traditional, but who don't know Christ in their hearts. And so Christ comes. And He doesn't come as that military political leader. He doesn't come as that king that is wielding power and causing His subjects to go down. Christ comes meek and lowly and on a donkey. This is the crowning moment in Jerusalem's history. Let me say that again. This was the crowning moment in Jerusalem's history. There will be one that will supersede this when Christ does indeed come back and He comes back to rule on earth and to rule from Jerusalem. But since that time to this time, it was in fact the very crowning moment in Jerusalem's history. You know, you think back, Now the living God had returned to Jerusalem. Isn't that crazy? There was a time when Solomon dedicated the temple where the glory of God came down, the Shekinah glory of God came down, and it flooded into the temple, and the people were astonished, and they fell on the ground, and they worshiped God, and it was the dwelling place of God. But in Ezekiel 10, verses 18 of 19, Ezekiel sees this vision. And it's written there in the Scriptures, Then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim. There was a time when the glory of God left the temple. Let me share something. The temple that Jesus is going to go to is what's called the second temple. The original Temple of Solomon where they had that great prayer meeting where the glory of God descended, the power of God came down. it, It just was magnificent. You could read the account in the Scriptures there. That glory of God eventually departs because of the sin of the people. It departs. And when Herod rebuilt the temple as a favor to the Jews, there's nothing there that says the glory of God came back. In 30 AD, they didn't have the glory of God. But now, think about this. The Son of God comes. And He comes through the street of the holy city. Something that has not happened and the glory of God precedes them. And you would think that they would just bow in adoration and worship. But it's not what happened, is it? We know what transpires. He says he went back to Bethany to spend the night. He goes back to Bethany. But on Monday he comes. And guess where he goes? To the temple. And guess what he does? He cleans the place out again. He overturns the money tables. He gets rid of the vendors. And with forcefulness and with a whip, he says, My Father's house is to be a house of prayer for all people, but ye have made it a den of iniquity. Quoting from the prophet Jeremiah. The king came, but the king came humble. The king didn't come like the conquering Caesars or like the conquering armies, riding on a bold, beautiful, white steed with his prisoners before him. He did not come that manner. He didn't come with a marching and triumphant army, but the king came humble. And by the way, what is more humble than our king's death? To be accused, to be tried, and as a common criminal to come in a manner so meek and lowly to be betrayed when just by the breath of his mouth he could have wiped everybody out if he so desired. As a matter of fact, think about that term, "King of the Jews." You know, we're Christians, but you know, we're going to obey the government and everything that the government says and the government does. King of the Jews was the term, right, of Herod the Great. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? And you look at it in the New Testament, it's always been a a, a term of derision. And this king of the Jews comes humble. Comes on a beast of burden. You'll never read in history of any conquering king coming into the capital riding on a donkey. The warrior king that they were expecting, the militaristic messiah, the political power player that was going to recapture the independence and the sovereignty of Israel. had not come. But as the prophet Zechariah had said, he is just. He comes with salvation, deliverance. And he comes humble. And by the way, it is the heartache of Jesus' own heart that causes him upon entrance to the city to weep. Take a look at verses 6 and 7. It tells us that the disciples did just as Jesus said. Look at verse 7. And they brought the donkey and the colt, and they laid on them their garments on which He sat. and Basically made like an impromptu saddles. But what is about to happen is the stones are about to cry out and declare who Jesus is. Look at verse 8. And most of the multitude spread their garments in the road, and others were cutting branches from trees and spreading them in the road. And the multitudes going before Him, and those who followed were crying out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the the highest. By the way, the waving of palm branches... Right? The other gospels tell us that it was palm. The waving of palm branches had become a, a kind of nationalistic symbol, which signaled that that fervent hope that Messiah would come. So here are the people, now I shared with you, right? They had the right worship. They're using everything. Messiah, Messiah, here are the palm branches. Notice what else they do, they threw their garments into the road which would be their their cloaks their outer cloaks right they took those cloaks and they threw them on the road what did that symbolize that symbol, symbolized obedience subservience right here is my king he can trample upon my clothes he can do all these right things they threw him in the road there were crowds that were preceding him you got to get the picture here man There had to be a lot of people that were preceding him. There were a lot of people who were following him. John tells us that a lot of these people were indeed from Bethany, and they were people who bore witness to the resurrection of Lazarus. So if they had seen these things, can you imagine the zeal that they had? This wasn't just, hey, here comes Jesus. Hey, here comes Jesus. No, there was a zeal. Matthew tells us the city is stirred. There's something going on. The Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, John tells us are looking. Luke tells us they're looking and they're saying, Lord, rebuke your disciples. Rebuke them. Oh my goodness. Imagine the things that they're saying. But even those who are looking for a militaristic political king to come and deliver them, even they in that moment had the right object of worship. Yes, it is Jesus. Yes, He is the King of the Jews. Yes, blessed is He who does come in the name of the Lord. And you might say, well, what's wrong with that? Their right worship was that they had the right object of worship. It was Christ. And they're waving the palms and they're laying their their clothing in the street and i think about it many in this coming week we kick off the holy week and you know me i i really believe that this is a holy week that it is to be consecrated unto god that it is to be dedicated it is to be separate from the other weeks i don't care if people agree with that or don't i believe with all of my heart This is the turning point in history. We celebrate redemption. We celebrate resurrection. We celebrate salvation. We cannot put on reruns of Everybody Loves Raymond and watch TV like nothing has happened. This is the week that we dedicate as holy as unto the Lord. And we got to become a people that are mindful for this. Listen, throw the Easter bunny out. Throw the chocolates out. Get rid of all that nonsense. This indeed is holy unto God, just as the Passover was holy unto Israel. Except our Passover lamb has come. And for all who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, He has caused death to pass over. And he has fulfilled the will of God. I shared with you, I said there's one primary point that I want to come screaming out of this message. And that is that many had the right object of worship, but they had the wrong heart. And I keep thinking about this week, how many people who call themselves Christian likewise will say, I went to church on Palm Sunday. I went to church on Good Friday, even though that's a rarity today, by the way. We will be here Friday evening, 7 p.m. We will be here. We will celebrate the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. We celebrate it because, glory to God, there is a resurrection that comes on Sunday. But I think about how many people who say I'm a Christian and, and yes, I go by the name of Christ and yes, oh, I worship Jesus and yet their hearts are far from God. They're no different than the others that, that had a form of religion, had a form of tradition. But know not the power and the deliverance of Christ. How critical is a church that if we call ourselves Christians, it doesn't make us members of an exclusive club. It is one thing to say it, it is another thing to live it. If we call ourselves Christians, then we are followers of Christ. And if we are followers of Christ, then His word is delightful to us. His will is what we live for. And it is in glorifying and magnifying Him and Him alone that we live and move and have our being. The right object of worship with the wrong heart doesn't save. It condemns. to say that Jesus is King, to say that Jesus is Savior, to say that Jesus is Lord, and to live in defiance to that. Condemns. But oh, praise God. Praise God for those who can confess that Christ is the object of my affection, that Christ is the object of my joy. And who through obedience and submission and repentance and faith come to that place of brokenness where they cry out to God, Lord, save me lest I die. And now the right object of worship is merged with the right heart of worship. We come into the fullness and into the glory of His kingship. Oh church, nothing could be more important On this Palm Sunday, nothing could be more important that we be a people with the right object of worship and we be a people with the right heart of worship. And notice what in verse 9 and 10, what the multitudes cry out. And this is very deliberate, by the way. Those that went before, those who followed were crying out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now these are direct messianic quotes from Psalm 118. Direct messianic quotes. So what, what I'm trying to show you here is they recognized that there was something different about Jesus. And they recognized that He was probably Messiah. But a Messiah in that they crafted. Not the Messiah of the Bible. Psalm 118 plays, by the way, you should know this, Psalm 118 plays a very critical role in the last week of Jesus' life. You know when the Gospels talk about that they, they came to celebrate the Last Supper? I believe it's Luke's Gospel that said after celebrating the the Lord's uh, the, the, the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, that they sang a hymn. Well, that hymn is Psalm one eighteen, that they sang, and you know what they would have sung on that night? Psalm one eighteen twenty two. The stones which the builders rejected, this has become the chief cornerstone. This is this. St- Stands squarely in line with many messianic prophecy. The people marvel at God's reversal of fortunes. The stones exult. Psalm 118.24, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. Psalm 118, the king comes, the stone who the builders rejected. This becomes the very cornerstone. Psalm 22 talks about that stone is indeed Jesus Christ, right? He was the one that was rejected. And that's why in Psalm 118.24, they can cry out, this is the day that the Lord has made. The king has come. Messiah has come. Salvation has come. Therefore, this is the day that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Oh, they knew their Bible here, and they're bringing up their Bible. Psalm 118 is associated with the Feast of Tabernacles. It's the final song of the halal, sung at the end of Passover, the term Hosanna, listen to the term Hosanna. The term Hosanna transliterated means, oh, save now. Give salvation now. Notice what they're crying to Christ. Oh, save now. But they're thinking, save the nation. Give salvation now. Deliver us from Roman oppression. And we would cry out today, oh, save now, oh God. Save souls. Turn men and women to Christ. Cause them to be born again. Be saved now. Give salvation now. The gospel writers make no mistake in using Psalm 118 and showing that Jesus, Jesus is the rightful king. Of Israel, the Messiah, Matthew uses the term the Son of David." Mark uses the term "The coming kingdom of our Father David and the king." Look at verse ten, and when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, "Who is this?" John twelve: seventeen tells us the multitude who were with him. The multitude who were with him when he called Lazarus out of grave were bearing witness. Could you imagine the scene? The multitude who were with him when he called Lazarus. Could you imagine, honestly, seriously, could you imagine being there on that grave site? I was in New York back in January and went back to my father's grave. I've never been a guy who visits cemeteries, but since my father passed away, there's just this compulsion to go. And by the way, I just want you to know, I don't go to graveside and go, Hey, Dad, it's me. How you doing? Anything new? I don't do that. But what I do do is I go to graveside and I pray. And I pray. And so I went to the graveside, and most of you know my, my mother is critically ill, and we're expecting her any day to, 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 to go home to glory. But when I was there in January, it was a blustery, cold, cold, cold day, and I was trying to hang in there, you know, and uh, there's my grandfather, there's my grandmother, there's my dad, and there's where my mother is going to be, right? And they're all in this plot. I was thinking to myself, oh my goodness. There's a day, man, when this plaque is going to blow off. Everything's going to blow off, right? There are going to be big, four big holes in the ground over there when Christ finally comes and the dead in Christ are going to rise first and we which remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And as I was standing there on that frozen, frozen, frozen grass, I said, Lord, let that day come, Lord, as quickly as possible when all these graves are going to pop open. And the dead in Christ are going to rise. And that day is coming. Now, could you imagine if you were there at the tomb of Lazarus? Picture you're back at that cemetery. And here comes one who says, Oh, you know, hey, well, show me where he's buried. And they go, and there's the stone, and roll away the stone. I love the way the King James capture it, right? Martha says, Lord, surely by now he stinketh. (laughs) Right? Because why? Decomposition after four days is setting in. There, There was no real embalming. They did not embalm internally, they put perfumes and spices externally to reduce the smell. So imagine you're there at that gravesite and you go, What is this guy doing? Is he out of his mind? And there they roll the stone away. And Jesus cries out, the Bible says, with a loud voice, Lazarus! He didn't say, Lazarus, you in there? He said, Lazarus, come forth! Short, sweet, direct. Lazarus, come forth. Now, I don't know if we capped Capture this, right? We think, you know, we think like, you know, Lazarus in a coffin and he pushes the door open and, you know, he kind of climbs out and, you know, hey, Jesus, it's me, man, what's up? But they were wrapped. Their feet were tied. Their hands were tied. Right? Jesus commands him, and he's in these linen wrappings that are soaked with spices. And the only way it has to portray, I'm not doing this to be funny, but I'm doing it. The only way he could have came out was like this. I'm here, Lord. You know. And what did Jesus say? He said, loose him and unbind him. Loose him and unbind him. Now you're there. You see this. And they take off the face wrap. And his face is in gray. It's pink. Blood's coursing through his body. And they untie the hands. And he goes, man, that feels good. And they untie the feet. And he's like, yeah, okay, get get all this stuff off of me. And they're unwrapping him and unwrapping him. And there stands a living, breathing human being who was dead for four days. What would you do? I think I would pass out. But then you go the next day, and guess what? Lazarus is outside having breakfast with his two sisters and Jesus. And you go the next day, and Lazarus is walking in the market. And you know one man did it. This Jesus of Nazareth. And now comes the Passover. And the throng goes. And you're in that crowd and you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is the Lord God. And with you is the whole town of Bethany. And with you are others who have heard of the miracle that took place. And you cry out, indeed this is the Messiah. You know what? When you've come to Christ, it's the same thing. He loosens the bonds of sin. He looses the cords that had you tied. He brings you to that place where you couldn't deliver yourself, but now God has indeed delivered you. And as a result of your salvation, you do indeed cry out, Blessed is the Lord God Almighty. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. John 12, 18 tells us this, For this cause also the multitude went and met Him because they had heard He performed this sign. This is relating to the the resurrection of Lazarus. And notice that despite all the miracles that Jesus had done up to this point, none of them were sufficient to create belief in the hearts of those who rejected them. The Pharisees, still, still, still rejected Him. Most of the nation still, still, still rejected Him. And that is because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Romans 10, 17. It's the same in the world today. Despite the volume of evidence for the resurrection, for biblical authority, for miracles, for the changed lives in Jesus Christ, many today simply will not and do not believe. But you know what's the most disturbing? The ones who will not and do not believe who call themselves Christians. Look at verse 11. And the multitudes were saying, this is. They asked, who is this? Who's this guy? Who is it? And it says, the multitude saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. John 12, 16 says this, speaking of the disciples. It says this, These things His disciples did not understand at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things were written of Him. And that they had done these things to him. Speaking of that, he's basically saying the disciples didn't really realize it even themselves until Christ was glorified. He was resurrected from the dead. That word understand is the same word which means to know. In other words, it's experientially they did not comprehend it until Christ rose from the dead. And John writes this to show that first they did not get the full understanding of what was transpiring. And notice the response. The disciples come to that place. Notice the response of the Pharisees. John 12, 19. And we are told that the Pharisees said to one another, you see, they're saying this to Jesus. You see, you're not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after Him. that means a lot of people are going after Jesus. And they tell Him, Jesus... Tell your disciples to stop what they're doing. Jesus gives that great statement. He said, I'll tell you what, if these guys don't cry out, the stones are going to cry out. I think on that day, the stones were crying out. But notice what happens. Here comes the king. Here comes his revelation to Israel. But notice what happens. In Luke 19, 41 through forty. We read it as our scripture reading this morning. Notice this. As Jesus approached Jerusalem, so as He approached Jerusalem, He's going up. He's going uphill. And the number one thing He sees is the temple. That white marble temple glistening in the sun. As Jesus approached the city and saw the city, He wept over it. If only you had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. O Israel, if only you knew this day, this Palm Sunday, that the King has come, the King has come and He has visited and He is dwelling among you, if only you had known. And through tears, He cries this. He goes on to say, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will barricade you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will level you to the ground and your children within your walls and they will not leave one stone on another. Why? Why, he says. Because you did not recognize the day of your visitation. I told you at the very beginning the the message title is Behold Your King! Behold Your King! And every time the Gospel is preached on a Sunday like today, we echo and we cry, Behold Your King! And even we mourn for those who would say, I will not behold Him. I will not embrace him. I will not bow to this king. What king, upon entering his capital, cries over the city? And he cried, why? Because he knew a day was coming, A.D. 70, when the Roman general Tacitus will surround Jerusalem, lay siege to Jerusalem, build ramparts to enter into the city and then destroy and desecrate the city itself. Now let me share something. With this I'm going to close. There was a crowning day of Jerusalem. But there's another crowning day that lays ahead. Daniel seven thirteen and 14 says this, I kept looking in the night visions and behold the clouds of heaven like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him, to him was given dominion, glory and a kingdom that all the people's nations and men of every language might serve him his dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and his kingdom which is which uh, his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed speaking of jesus in that prophetic vision jesus said this in luke 21:27 he said then they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Paul told the church of Philippi in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11 For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and those on the earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. John wrote in Revelations 1, verses 7 and 8, Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over Him. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Again in the Revelation, John says this in uh, chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. Then I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, and its rider is called Faithful and True. With righteousness he judges and wages war. He has eyes like blazing fire and a royal crown upon his head, and he has a name written upon him that only he himself knows. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God, which by the way is the Lagos, right? Right? And the armies of heaven, dressed in fine linen, white and pure, follow him on white horses. And from his mouth proceeds a sharp sword, which to strike down the nation. And he will rule them with an iron scepter. And he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And he has a name written upon his robe. And on his thighs it says, King of kings and Lord of lords. There's another crowning day that's coming and those that are in faith in Christ Jesus will be there and we will with the right heart and the right worship be able to shout Hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and all will bow their knee to that Lord on that day. So as we enter the Holy Week, many today will have the right worship with the wrong heart, but there are many today that have the right worship with the right heart. Christ is coming again. But this time, He's not going to be riding on a donkey. And there are going to be no angels. Uh, there There are going to be no manger scene. And trust me, He will not be weeping. He will have eyes full of fire and a sword to strike down the nations and unbelievers. My consternation, my agony of my soul is for those that are going to die with a head knowledge of Christ but are not going to know Christ as Lord and Savior. That's the grief I bear. And it gets magnified too as a pastor because you pray that all who hear this would be found in Christ. That every person who calls Calvary their church would be found in Christ. That you would have the right worship and the right heart. And if you don't, because I'm going to tell you something, the Spirit of God is going to let you know that you're not in Christ. And if the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart that you're not in Christ, will you repent? Do you want to be with the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and those who who said, oh yeah, we're, 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 we're of Israel, but weren't of Israel? Will you be like the multitude, multitude of people who will profess the name of Christ by heritage, by tradition, by religion, but with your heart? Deny Him. Right worship? Wrong heart. If that's you, will you repent? Turn from your sin? Entrust yourself to the finished work of Christ on the cross? Would you come and be saved? Once and for all, settle it. Listen, Coming to church doesn't impress God. I hope everybody knows that. I don't care if you come to church every single day. We're not open every single day, but I don't care if you attend every service. That does nothing. All our works, all our righteous works are as filthy rags before the Lord. You know what impresses heart? What impresses God? A broken and a contrite heart. Have you sinned? Join the club. Have you walked away from Christ? Join the club. Have you cried out to Christ and say, Have mercy on me, oh God, a sinner? And submit yourself totally to him. And Christ will do an amazing work in your life. Oh, you'll suffer. You'll have problems. Oh, you'll have problems like you never knew you had problems. But your soul will be at rest. And you will be justified by the blood of Jesus Christ before the one and only righteous judge. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father, as we come to you this day, Lord, and we conclude this, the service, Lord. And as we enter in now, Lord, into the Holy Week, may we, O God, render to You the glory, the honor, and the praise that is rightly due You. Lord, that the Lamb who was slain would have the reward of His suffering. And Lord, if there is anyone here, either here with us or whoever hears this message at whatever time, Lord, if Your Spirit reveals to them their need of a Savior, will they not delay, Lord? Call them unto Yourself. Father, go forth with repentance. Repentance that many would come to faith in Christ. Lord, we give you glory. You are King. We bless you. And we cry out, Maranatha, Lord God. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Object of our affection. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Bless God.